Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. So, I reside, obviously, here in the great Midwest, and... Uh, the uh, signs that pop up in the fall say Northwestern uh, Chicagoland Big Ten School. Now, they're doing that because, frankly, Chicago has a very large University of Illinois Northwestern following, but Notre Dame, frankly, is really Chicago's Big Ten School. Well, I know they aren't in the Big Ten, and, you know, once again, more on that someday, but Midwestern football powerhouse or whatever that has the greatest following in the Chicagoland area is, North, is Notre Dame. Followed by usually Illinois, though, Northwestern has gained a lot of territory, partially due to the struggles at U of I and partially due to Northwestern being consistently good for several years in a row, which is news, quite frankly. Didn't used to happen, and it appears they're going to be good and stay that way, and, and a lot of props, in my mind, need to go to the direction of one, uh, Coach Pat Fitzgerald, who, of course, played here during the resurgence of the mid-'90s for Gary Barnett, and they've had some pretty good-sized names, Dennis Green and Francis P. and others that have come through, Eric Parsegian even, but this is the greatest sustained success probably in the history of the program. I have to double-check if, if there was sometime maybe in the 20s or 30s that I'm missing, but... I know for a fact, from post-World War II on, this is the best they've been for a sustained stretch of time. So, uh, hats off, as I said. And I see you, Jim. And good to have you. Uh, I know you are not yet a father, but uh, happy early Father's Day to all the fathers in your world, Jim. Yeah. So, there was a time, Jim, and I'm old enough to remember that time, when the Big Ten was pretty much every year a top three and top two even conference every year, every year Uh, from, I mean, I I saw my first football game in 1970, and the Big Ten was good, uh, and by that I mean Michigan and Ohio State <laughs> were good, and they were consistently good for essentially 20 straight years from that point forward. I mean, it started being good a long time before that, but I, I didn't see that with my own my own eyes. But they just were good every year, and every once in a while, when the other teams would flare up, Michigan State had a nice little run of Dutch and you know, other things happened with some of the other schools where they'd be good for a while, but you, you could pretty much set your clock by Michigan and Ohio State being top 10 schools for decades. People, there are people who would be adults who couldn't remember those two teams not being good. And then that changed a little bit. Uh, Ohio State 
didn't struggle as much. So they struggled by Ohio State standards. I mean, poor Earl Bruce, you know, going eight and four, eight and three, and or and nine and three or nine and four or whatever. That well it wasn't nine and four in those days. So it'd be you know nine and two, nine and three in those days. But that that drew people's ire uh, at Ohio State, and you know he was eventually and he resigned, but it was you know with a certain amount of encouragement to do so. And they wandered around a little bit, and then Coach Tressel got the call up from Youngstown. And though that there were some problems during that time that we can reflect on looking back, uh, still, it was a resurgence to some extent of the program. Michigan, once again, sort of like with, with Earl Bruce, settled into what, by they, their standards, they thought was a doldrum, where they kept winning nine and ten games under Lloyd Carr, and eventually he resigned or retired or whatever it is with a certain amount of encouragement. And they soon found out, you know, in the words of Joni Mitchell, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And they wandered in the wilderness for real, real, you know, <laughs> you know, under uh, both Rodriguez and, and a man that I heard, somebody dusted off the old Wayne Fonts nickname of um, Fred Flintstone to describe uh, a recent coach at Michigan who, uh, whose name yeah, I know. It's almost as stricken from the records. I mean, it's amazing how quickly it's like when Stalin came in and you like had the history books burned and you know, Bajovic bulldozed and things like that. It's almost yeah. like that. You would you would think Miss Greyhook never existed. Yeah, murdered all the middle class, all the supporters, got rid of all those guys, <laughs> purged everybody. Yeah. Every Brady Hoke supporter is just kind of cowering in another, you know, another state, another country. <laughs> there was a virtual pogrom. So he is a purge. So it's fascinating because still, I mean, now it's probably close to 50-50, but the recent winning that has happened has happened with Brady Hoke kids. These are kids that Brady Hoke, uh, until recently, guys he coached at least one year. I think this is the first group where there's nobody to actually coach, but there's still some of his recruits left. I think there's at least yeah. one maybe. And I think if you count redshirt, maybe two more years of, uh, of Brady Hope kids before it's all hardball recruits. But like I said, you can't get anywhere to talk about that. <laughs> That's just what I'm talking at. Well, no, I mean, he... if you think about it, when Harbaugh went to the NFL, most of his guys he was coaching were guys that were from previous you know, he didn't draft Patrick Willis. You know, he didn't draft. Oh, um, you right. Know, Frank Gore. You know, Joe Staley. He didn't draft those guys. So, like, you know, Vernon Davis. But you know, he's Jim Harbaugh. You know, so you kind of overlook stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be interesting because this is this is realistically the first year that is legitimately. Harbaugh's guys, I guess, to the best. So there's definitely a couple guys left, but we're well, talking about seventy percent Harbaugh guys now. If memory serves me correctly. Exactly, exactly. Because all the Taco Charlsons and um, you know all those other people were not that. You know, they were not that. They were pretty hook. So right. You know, all those different sort of transfers, the various transfers, but. All the quarterbacks up until now uh, have been guys that came either through transfer or Brady Hope guys. The running backs were all Brady Hope guys. The receivers were all Brady Hope guys. The offensive and defensive line 
uh, we're virtually already hooked guys. This, this year will be, we saw the first flashes of brilliance of some of the, the hardball recruits a little bit last year, and people are super excited about the last two recruiting classes he's had. So this will be a, a watershed year, actually, to some extent for Harbaugh. It, it's his team, for the most part, as you just said, for the first time. And really the first time in a long time. He's one of those guys that does really well but doesn't tend to stay terribly long anywhere. He had a three-year run at uh, University of San Diego, a four-year run at Stanford, a three, I think it was, year run with the 49ers. And now he's entering, yeah, it was interesting to see, because there's a pattern sort of here. I don't think he's dating more five years yet. Yeah, he's got the Urban Meyer-itis, you know. So. <laughs> I don't think he's been anywhere five years. I have to go back and check to make sure I'm not wrong, but I'm almost certain his longest tenure as the head coach anywhere so far has been four years. So we'll see how this goes. But nonetheless, he has a really solid winning percentage. He has a really good track record of developing players and recruiting players and getting the best out of guys that maybe other regimes didn't, I think is maybe a way to put it. So those will sort of hold those two schools in abeyance for a moment. Uh, I'll just start at the bottom and work my way up this stuff. Uh, this is sound crazy, Jim, but I started doing a lot of work on Purdue. So it started initially with me looking at their coach. Uh, of course, I've known about Coach Brom and Brom and his brother, who, of course, is on the staff as well for many years. Their father is a well-known coach in the um, – Louisville, Kentucky area for, I don't know, 30-something years, I guess. Uh, they were, both the Brown brothers were extremely highly rated quarterbacks. And, of course, uh, Brian, of course, I mean, both of them had, had good careers. One of them had something of an NFL career. Uh, from, I guess you call the Petrino-ish tree. This is a tough place to win, Jim. Uh, we, I think we said almost these exact words one year ago. Purdue may be one of the 20, 50 to 20 hardest jobs in America in terms of winning. You're in the Big Ten. You're in a state that you share with Notre Dame and Indiana. And it's a state that gets recruited heavily by, well, everybody else. I mean, the rest of the schools in your conference, the MAC, recruits Indiana very heavily. For a long time, anybody that Notre Dame essentially didn't want, instead of going to, for a long time, instead of going to Indiana, which for a long time was really not very good, and Purdue, which for a very long time was not very good, those kids would just leave. They'd go out of state. They'd go to Louisville, or they'd go to Kentucky, or they'd go to Tech. You're just Cincinnati. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of Indiana kids on a roster. Uh, those kids, Illinois got a lot of kids out of Indiana when I was there and even thereafter. For a long time, Indiana, outside of the Notre Dame connection, obviously, had trouble keeping its own kids in-state, once again, if you don't count Notre Dame. But they had trouble keeping their kids in the in-state schools in the Big Ten, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And we'll see if that changes. If he's able to, quote-unquote, build a fence, which no Purdue coach has really been able to do since, I don't know, Hank Stram, maybe? I mean, you got to go back a ways. Uh, because... 
when they were good under Joe Tiller, they were a national recruiter. He got kids from Wyoming and kids from coaching coach there and kids from Texas where he himself had grown up and had coached high school. He got kids from California. You know, because of what he was doing offensively, he went after kids from warm weather states where they like to catch the football and throw the football. And, of course, I guess maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe Brom's going to follow that trend. I don't know. We'll see. Well, well, when you look at Purdue, and when you've looked at Purdue, and Purdue always has one to three really interesting prospects every year. And, of course, as we pointed out, I think at one point they led all schools in sacks. I think there was a couple-year period where if you told uh, all the alma maters of, of NFL players, they led the NFL in sacks a couple of years, if memory serves me correctly. Yeah, they had the most. They yeah. they had at least the most uh, prospects, like the most successful edge rusher prospects, at least for a good stretch of times, including everybody, Alabama, LSU, all those guys. Well, LSU was pretty easy to beat, but, you know, everybody else, you know, they were pretty much tops when it came to pass rushers. Which is interesting because that's not something people think of when you think of Purdue football, but every year Purdue has, seems to have somebody who's at least halfway decent at that. So. Looking at Purdue now, which is, you know, once again, evergreen tweet, welcoming a new coaching staff, which seems to happen about every three years. But what do you think of the chances, one, of this new staff? Two, what do you think of the team in terms of what they might be as players and, of course, what the, what the team might be? Well, as a team, they're Purdue, you know. Um, offensively speaking, you know, quarterback is always an issue for them consistently. And it's funny, you know, you're a team, you're a team like Purdue, right? And your goal is to play everybody else's game that they're clearly better than you at when it comes to quarterbacks and getting quarterbacks, you know, but you can't go for the Johnny Bravo approach quarterback. And they seem to consistently go for that approach of getting quarterbacks that, are just, you know, Denny Etling, you know, stuff like that, that, you know, their high school production is 13 out of 100, 15 out of, you know, stuff like that. Um, the current wow. guy on roster, David uh, Blah. Wow. Blah, Blah. that wrong. But, <laughs> but he's a guy that has a, you know, a 53% completion percentage coming out of high school. Oh, um, the other guy, Elijah, though, is pretty good, but he was in Kentucky. I haven't done a ton of stuff in – like, I don't know. For whatever reason, Bill, you're a quarterback that does really well in states not named Texas, California, uh, Alabama, the southern states, for whatever reason – which Kentucky is technically a southern state. But, like, for whatever reason, Kentucky hasn't been very successful, I guess, is all I'm trying to say in terms of getting uh, – NFL quarterbacks, but he, but yeah, Elijah totally at least Terrell is very, very upset at you. Yeah, that's fine. But Elijah at least has a decent uh, career at Kentucky uh, based on his production, but he's obviously not the starter. The David Blah is starting in front of him. So, you know, I, I would say defense is really the main area for Purdue. You know, uh, the linebacker, you know, Marcus Bailey, who's a sophomore, though, but he's a guy that, uh, based on production, was at least decent, fairly decent when it came to his overall production score profile. Uh, and, of course, they have, you know, Gillen Robinson, 
who may get turned into a fullback, perhaps, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he's listed at nose guard, but he has a very Roosevelt Knicks-like uh, sort of look to him, I guess. You know? Why do they do Knicks that, Jim? Why do they I'm do just that? saying. <laughs> but I mean, this is what the NFL does. These, these undersized nose guard types. We've seen it. Uh, Roosevelt Knicks, uh, the guy from Purdue, the little uh, uh, what's his name that was that's on the Giants uh, that was turned into a fullback. Dan Klecko to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. The NFL just seems to be like, oh, you're an undersized nose guard, so to fullback you go type of you know attitude in terms of that. And I'm not saying that he's going to be there. He has decent production, uh, but. It's just one of those things where the NFL just kind of looks at a guy like that and they go, yeah, you're a fullback. You're not because we don't think you're big enough to play inside. So we'll just turn you into something else. Uh, well, which wouldn't bother me so much if it weren't for the fact that, I mean, fullback, I mean, it's it's a business I love, but nowadays that's just barely a step above a long snapper in terms of actual value to your team. Even if the guy is a part-time defensive player who only plays in special packages, I would think he'd be more valuable doing that if he excels at it than oh, whatever. Okay. Uh, it's not the NFL anymore. The NFL, in many ways, it's funny, the NFL, you know, think outside box isn't really in the nomenclature. Uh, you know, it's, we want to fit you into a box. If you don't fit that box, then you're just weird and we don't really want you. So, um, or we want to put you into another box that you may not fit in, but either fitting it, you know, survival of the fittest, Darwinism takes effect, stuff like that. Um, right. Okay. But Darwinism usually wins, you know, usually if you're not adapted to to win a certain way, then, you know, you kind of go by the wayside. I'm just saying that's what the NFL does with this, these types of guys uh, consistently, or they just end up in the CFL. Um, so... But I, I, but all I'm saying is, Gillen Robinson is someone who wrestling background. So I know you're probably, you know, woohoo type thing. But you know, he's a <laughs> he's a good player. Uh, yeah. It's just what the you know what the NFL will view him as. I have no clue because the NFL has always been kind of wishy-washy with these types of body types. I guess at the right. at that position. So right. No, I can't argue that fact. It's just bothersome. That's all. Uh, in your mind, do you, if you were talking about maybe the, the top pro prospect on the team, and I know it's Purdue, so it's almost like an oxymoron, but who is who is the top prospect on the team in your mind? Hmm. It'd probably be Marcus Bailey, you know, that okay. linebacker, uh, likely. And, and that's just because he's just, he just fits that you have a clear you have a clear picture of what he is than Gillen Robinson. So, and they're kind of of equal footing when it comes to whatever position you're, you're thinking and visioning for them. So, I just think it's just clearer with Marcus Bailey that hey, this is the line, you know, this is the inside linebacker. So, um, versus Gillen Robinson, which is what exactly you know, you kind of an inside sort of play. You know, it's like it's kind of a wish more questions in terms of what exactly he is. They're obviously not going to move him to guard or anything else like that. Like, that's kind of – they wouldn't do that. But um, it's just because of body type-wise. Right. Like, wishy-washy. Right. 
Now, I know you don't want to discuss their offense. <laughs> I can already tell. But it's impossible to not discuss their offense. This is a team that has a great tradition going back to the 50s of offensive football. They yeah. were the first – you know, they're the first Midwestern team in the modern era to really embrace what we, what people now call a quote-unquote pro-style passing attack and produced, you know, guys like Greasy and guys like Lynn Dawson who went on to have special professional careers. And, you know, further down the line, obviously, you later had, you know, the the guys that uh, like Jim Everett and guys like Drew Brees and guys like Orton, you know, going – closer to the modern era. And then, you know, as you said, this was sort of an interruption. They've had some good running backs even come out of there. Uh, some so-so wide receivers come out of the, the program. Some tight ends, right? There have been some NFL tight ends that come out of the program. Some offensive linemen as well. To me, and once again, this is not exactly a revelation, but if their offensive line play is above the median line, above the middle line in the conference, that they are above average for the conference, I think that gives that entire offense a chance to become something because they give a chance to then run the ball. Yeah. Well, I know it's not likely, Jim, but... It's, it's kind of like this. Purdue constantly has had a decent offensive line in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, they've had... NFL, at least they've had NFL caliber athletes on that line consistently, you know, from last year to even before that, like Kevin Pampile. But when you're quarterback, it doesn't matter what level of competition you're at. When you can't, when you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't really matter what you got, you know, um, offensively. Like, that's my only issue with Purdue is that, yeah, their offensive line is decent, has been decent in in terms of the last five years or so, but the quarterback position has just been so bad that it negates any help that the offensive line would create. And, yeah, you can have sort of a running game, but that really kind of gets smashed a bit in the Big Ten, especially where the run defenses in the Big Ten have become even better than you would would think. So, but I, I don't know. That that's just my only sort of question mark, I guess. Is the quarterback position consistently has been a, a sore, very bad thing at Purdue. And it looks like it's gonna to continue to be that way when you have David Blah, you know, ahead of um, you know, somebody else who might actually be better possibly, potentially, you know, on paper. Understood. Well, staying in the state and traveling just a few miles to Bloomington, another school where hopes have occasionally run high and, and a big even, you know, a few times under Coach Mallory and a few other times, and of course, more recently in the Kevin Wilson experiment, they've had players up, players up, player ups where they looked good and even had some upsets and things like that. But sustained success has eluded this program in both of our lifetimes, quite frankly, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you have to go back a very, very, very long ways to find, you know, a decade or close to a decade of sustained success in Indiana football. Uh, they 
even less, even more so than Purdue. I mean, they've even less sustained success than Purdue, quite frankly. Though they haven't hit maybe some of the lows that Purdue has reached in the very recent past, they they have struggled to put together, you know, a, a long run, a six, seven, eight-year run. But looking at Indiana, which once again, if you look around the NFL, there's a nice little sprinkling of Indiana players, particularly uh, skill position players throughout the league. But take me through this team. What do you think might happen to this team this year? Who do you think are some of the prospects of note? Right. Well, you know, Indiana is – it's a program that player-wise has put out some, some decent prospects. And, you know, Jason Spriggs, you know, uh, you know, a couple wide receivers here and there that were kind of short. But the NFL is still trying to be like, we like you, but you're five foot eight, so you know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, this year in particular, you know, Simi Cobb is someone that I just think, just physically speaking, you know, it fits the physical profile of what you're looking for in terms of the number one wide receiver, but doesn't quite play like it yet. Uh, but he's definitely someone that I, I, I. I'm excited to see how he develops this year, you know, how he produces, all that kind of stuff. But he, he's a fairly impressive uh, player when it comes to his size. And the other players on defense, you know, Nate Hoff, the defensive tackle there, uh, was very impressive in certain games. You know, Ohio State in particular, I think, was one game where Nate Hoff uh, was pretty dang good and was taking on uh, prospects. Uh, I think, you know, the center from Ohio State last year, uh, he 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 did not like him. Uh, he did not like Nate Hoff at all. So uh, Billy Price too. He didn't really like Nate Hoff. Uh, so I mean, he's a he's kind of a big, uh, not the fastest defensive tackle, but he's you know he's a fairly powerful guy who moves pretty well for his size. Uh, and of course, the cornerback there, Richard uh, Faint, is a weak corner. He's fast, but he's weak. Uh, he kind of reminds me of uh, Trey White a bit stylistically, although Trey White got a little bit more uh, aggressive, assertive, I guess, in the run game. Uh, Faint hasn't quite done that yet, but there are some things I like. I mean, he's very – Faint is very William Jackson-ish in terms of production and stuff like that. So I'm not really the biggest fan of him, but he definitely has some things that I think NFL teams might – like about him uh but overall when it comes to indiana i mean there's a lot of different things that this program has had success with you know wide receiver has been something they've been pretty successful with in terms of developing defensive players they've had a couple here and there you know kind of developed they just haven't really been able to take the next step to convert all that stuff into you know contending really you know which you might go, well, that's a pretty monumental step to compete or contend, you know, for a Big Ten thing. But they have been producing the talent, uh, at least at certain positions. It's just they haven't been able to, like, put it all together in terms of that program. Uh, but at least this year, I think there's there's definitely a decent amount of offensive players and defensive players that have shot. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see just how things play out. I think – I don't know if there'll be really a shakeup at the top of the conference, but I think there might be a shakeup at the bottom. I think there might be 
a bottom team that pushes its way up slightly above the bottom, you know, and then one of the teams that maybe is sort of plugs along in the middle ends up finding itself on the bottom. But like I said, we'll see how that plays out soon enough. Uh, because of the conference schedule and in some cases even non-conference schedule, a lot of these teams will get tested reasonably early on. I mean, they, there's not a huge cupcake factor for the most part in most of these schedules. Now, a lot of times someone you, you think isn't a cupcake turns out to be a cupcake or vice versa, a team that you know you didn't raise your eyebrows when you saw them on the schedule turned out to be better than you thought. But I agree with you, these are two teams that will probably struggle, you know, to hit the, the five hundred area. And, you know, obviously as you said, in the case of Purdue, as David Blau goes, so goes the the entire shebangabang there. Uh, T. Gray Scales and T.J. Simmons are interesting to me. Now, what do you think of Mr. Throwback's phone number? Phone number. Throwback. I don't know his phone number. Throwback uniform number, uh, Richard Lego or Legao or whatever at Indiana. What, what do you think of him? I mean, the quarterback? Yes, number 21. Yes, uh, Richard Lego, Legao. How is that? I think it's Lego. Honestly, I'm not familiar at all with him. Um, so I I do know he's a redshirt senior, um, but I'm honestly just I mean Indiana. I'm more I'm more familiar with Subfield. Of course, he's not he's not there anymore. But no, you know. I, but Lego didn't really make an impression on you. I saw he didn't really leave that big of an impression. But then okay. again, I didn't actually sit down and actually watch a, a game of him yet. But, you know. But, yeah, I, I, that's all I really say about Richard Lego. Well, promise me you'll check him out. Uh, he reminded me, it's funny because he's older than Dungey, but he reminded me of a raw version of the Dungey kid at um, Eric Dungey at, at, at uh, Syracuse, uh, which you don't want from a guy that's his age, obviously. He's... He's pretty raw, but he has some exciting moments. He seems to be a pretty decent natural athlete, and he doesn't even be afraid. I'll get mad. He doesn't even have a lot of fear. Uh, not wild about some of his decision-making and techniques, but he's scared he is not. Uh, what brings us to the team I have to literally remind myself every year is in the conference. Rutgers, who frankly don't belong, but whatever. It's not up to me. So um, Rutgers was a program not that long ago, Jim, that you know, it shot its way up into the, had a top five ranking briefly, but albeit, but had a top five ranking at one point. Uh, they, I won't say were churning out NFL talent, but were being pretty consistent in producing NFL talent. I mean, you know, uh, Logan Ryan, Steve Red, uh, uh, there's not two offensive linemen I'm thinking of. Um, hey, right. Yes. Um, uh, there's a uh, Haitian kid who plays in the NFL who's from there. His name just escapes me right now. But yes, decent amount of talent on both sides of the ball. But uh, we're coming out of Rutgers. Uh, Coach Chiano took a pretty much dead program and turned it into a national story. So, you know, you know, hey, <laughs> look what's happening here. Someone's winning football games at Rutgers of all places which was, you know, a bottom 10 SBS program for 
pretty much the entire decade of the 70s, to be perfectly honest, and wasn't a lot better in the 80s, probably, you know, bottom 20 in the 80s. When he came in, this is a place where people got super excited about bowl bits, you know, I mean, you know, any bowl bit. Because they've got a long time without one, and then they start going pretty much every year. You know, so whatever you want, whatever else you would like to say about Greg Schiano, he had a tremendous level of success by Rutgers standards. He's the most successful coach in Rutgers history, and it's the oldest football program in the you know American style football program in the world. So, you know, well done. So, they have a Janarian Grant, who I spotted a little bit. They have a kid named Jonathan Lewis they're apparently very excited about. At quarterback, he's very, very young. As far as I can tell, there doesn't a lot more there. But you tell me, what else do you see when you've looked at records? Huh. A lot of very bad teams. Um, right. I mean, what, what do you – what if you – right. Well, that is one thing you see. But are there any players maybe that are the radar? Grant. Yeah, right. I just mentioned he's, was, I think, he's probably the best player on the team. Yeah. yeah, but then again, it was like, I remember people last year were like, hey, you need to check out Junior Angry? And I'm like, huh. Okay. I, like, I was just sort of taking, like, this is, this is, it's it's kind of like, you know, you go to a, people tell you to go check out, like, an attraction or something, uh, like a site, and you go you go check it out, and then you're like, that this is it. That's all. That's all it's right here. It's like, um, oh, man, you got you to gotta try this shit. You know, oh, oh, this is what you said? What you talking about? This thing? This? Right, I get yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a, a great player. I think he's their best player. I, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm just saying, I just, I, I understand that. I'm just saying that it's, I mean, blessing Austin, maybe a quarter, you know? Um, okay. Made a couple plays here and there. Uh, still kind of weakish, but yeah, it's just it's just not a good program. Um, no, at all. So I come home, Greg Schiano. Always forgiven. You would, you know, you know. It's fun. It's really sad to say that you wish you had Gary Nova back. You know. Um, <laughs> Like that's something I never thought I would actually say. That's, that's uh, a, wow, that's a statement <laughs> ever. But I think they probably wish they had Gary Noble back, you know, and his his Cam Newton impressions. I mean, I um, I just don't know. I mean, it's yeah, you know, it's really sad to see Rutgers in the shape that it's in, for sure. Uh, considering you know they weren't, you know, they went from you know from what they were, you know, which is a team that was at least decent, you know, above average, to now what it very, is, which very is like the laughing stock of the Big Ten, you know, um, like Purdue's bad, but Rutgers is on another level bad. Uh, <laughs> it's like last year, bad, you know, losing. How many times did they lose by set? They put up 70 burgers on them. There was a couple like, I don't times. Know how, they, yeah. It was a couple, couple times. Yeah. You know, these are these that are would not have happened to the Graciano. Even early in the Graciano regime, they would not have let somebody score seventy off. 
Yeah, but it happened consistently, and it was just sort of a moment of, man, you know, you're just kind of rubbing it in, guys. You know, like you don't have to, you don't have to do this, but stop um, Yeah, exactly. Uh, type of situation, but uh, yeah. I mean, I hope they get better. I just don't have, it's like anything else, you know, the difference between hope and optimism, optimism is, you know, evidence-based. I don't have a lot of optimism, but I do have hope, you know, so it's just sort of a hope things get better uh, type of feeling, but, uh, but yeah, most of the players, and I remember, you remember that defensive tackle or defensive end that people were super duper excited about for whatever reason? He's not there anymore. I don't think it was him, but there was some other defensive tackle or defensive end guy that people... I think he was a four-star recruit or something. Right. But there was some player, and people were getting super excited about him saying he was the truth or whatever, and he wasn't really that productive. Uh, But they were like, oh, he's just developing, he's just developing. I'm like, really? (laughs) You know, like, all right. And then it just never really happened, but... um, yeah, he's not there anymore, but um, I don't think it was Hamilton, though. Hamilton uh, was sort of a different guy, uh, and he, of course, he's not on the program anymore, but uh, yeah, I, I would say just Austin, and then, of course, like you said, Grant, uh, who is really, when I remember watching Grant, he just reminded me of trying to think of uh, just like a kick return or punt return. You know, kind of uh, wide receiver. Like a lot of the, a lot of the plays he was making were you know screen pass plays and stuff like that. Um, kick return, punt return, but yeah, it's just not good. So you're talking about oh. a man's Tavon Austin, but something. Like yeah, 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 exactly. Like a Tavon Austin with uh, four or five speed. You know, right? Exactly, four or five two Tavon Austin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, right. A a less developed Troy Brown, that kind of thing. So that brings us to I L L I N I. That brings us to Years of Illinois, where they have brought a, a coach with an NFL pedigree. They've thrown their welcoming arms open to various and sundry transfers uh, who may not have gotten the amount of Uh, you know, various players from various places, and we'll see, obviously, what happens. I have reason, I mean, you talked about uh, was there's an optimism and hope. I have a little bit of each. Not necessarily this is going to be a seven-win team or anything like that, but I think they could be one of those teams that, you know, gets off the mat a little bit. You know, I think they won't be a two or three win or four win team, which means, I guess, you know, somewhere around that six, seven win range, but we'll see. Uh, probably more like, uh, we'll probably more like five. But they do get Mike Hudak, you know, one of my guys who will be sort of an all underappreciated team member. Yet again, um, having had this last season, that he attempted to play ended by injury and then attempting to come back and, as you said, wisely, not staging an extremely rapid comeback from the injury. But take me through where they, 
at least talent base wise, they're above some of the programs we just discussed. Yeah, they got stuff. I mean, Malik Turner, you know, wide receiver, probably one of my favorite wide receivers coming in the next year. Um, right. He was just someone that, when it just came to just route running ability and hands and body control, it seemed kind of like a more souped up version of Geronimo Allison, you know, um, okay. a bit. I mean, to me, I, I felt like he was just someone that, considering how bad his quarterback was, was pretty bad. Westmont was on another level. You know, if, if Steve was on the show, he'd be like, you know, he loves watching bad quarterbacks, and, you know, West Lawton is definitely on that list. Um, just for the, you know, shutting for it after of it. But, uh, yeah, I – Malik Turner is just – I just – I really like him. I just think that there's a, a, a bit of just maturity to his game uh, and just, you know, he's not – I don't think he's going to test amazing as an athlete, but I just sure. think it just in terms of his – route running ability, hands ability, body control. There's just a lot of really good things there already. Like my biggest thing is if, if you were one of the people that love Cooper Cup, you probably would really like Malik Turner like a lot, I guess. But to me, Malik Turner is one of the best wide receivers in Big Ten. Um, I think it still is one of the best wide receivers in Big Ten. Uh, but nobody really talks about him at all. In fact, I don't see any. Yeah, you know, you're right. No, his hype train has not at all. There's and nobody. Just me. Right. And but even when I hype a mother, isn't like who remember that guy Malik Turner you were talking about, James? I was like, there's none of that. You know, like remember that guy that you told me to watch? I watched him, and none of that. So, um, which is you know okay. But yeah, I mean he's uh, he's the one guy in offense I, I really I'm really excited about. And on defense, I really like Jalen Dunlap, uh, the corner there. Um, I I just like his instincts. I think he's a fairly strong tackler. Uh, He's consistently listed as like a safety for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, Most places they just have him at safety, but he plays corner. I don't know if that's because they just don't watch him play. Or they look at, or they look at his speed and go slow. So safety, I don't know, but he's a good zone corner. Uh, and, and, you know, in terms of the defense that Levy has there, I think he fits that really well. And I just think he's a pretty solid, smart, you know, football player too. Um, but yeah, I would say those are the two main guys. I think Malik Turner has a good shot to become a starting you know, NFL wide receiver just based on technical skills alone. I mean, because he's a guy that, you know, we whine about, oh, he doesn't run the route, all the routes, you know, stuff like that. I think like Turner exactly. run most of all the routes, most of them, if not all of them in most games I've seen of him, and do it yeah. fairly well, uh, too. And there's lots of things to complain about with the region coaching staff there, but one thing they didn't do was really simplify things. They ran a pretty – fairly complex West Coast offense by, or, you know, the passing game, I should say, was West Coast offense right. based. So it wasn't pure spread. They they had some play calling and, and route concepts that are 
would be recognized by someone who came out of West Coast offense background. I'll put it that way. Exactly. I, mean, I, I try to stay away from saying it was a West Coast offense because there's nobody really running. Even right. Harbaugh doesn't run a West that. Coast offense, but yeah. nobody does. Nobody in college. But, even David Shaw does it. Nobody does. But I would say this. If Lake Turner went to, like, the Seattle Seahawks, he would be he would be that sort of guy that could end up being, like, a star, you know, wide receiver if he went to, like, a West Coast team that had a really good quarterback. Um there's some potential there. I don't, I don't think. Like he's not. He's gonna go to the combine and run like four six, and people are gonna be like me, you know, <laughs> on him. <laughs> but yes. he's pretty good in terms of just his his route running ability. You know, like it's it was just one of those things that you know last year I had him. I he was a top ten wide receiver for me last year. It's just that you know he was never gonna declare because nobody, you know, nobody talked about him, nobody buzzed him, nobody you know. Stuff like that. Plus, he's a smart guy. He's really, if you've seen interviews, him, he's a, he's a fairly uh, well-spoken guy. Right. And now um, he and Dudek are going to be, you know, back together again for the first time. So that sense. Yeah, do that. Yeah. You, you keep talking about, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this will be the year for Dudek, definitely. Uh, which will be good because, you know, Turner uh, could use, you know, another something, something else. Yeah. You know, on the other side, doing something. So, yeah, I, I would I would just say that that's kind of one of the bright spots. The only thing with Levy Smith is I understand he's coaching at Illinois, and there's, I got nothing wrong with Illinois. I just really want Levy Smith to like coach in Texas or something. I don't know if he he just doesn't want to do that. But well, I mean, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he doesn't want to. I think that they haven't approached him unless unless I'm missing something. Well, uh, I know not, not Texas, but like a Texas, but like a Texas school, you know, you know, you know oh, what I'm saying. Okay. Not, not to say that he would, and I'm not saying, oh, the coach needs to go like back to his roots. Baylor or or right. A and M, right? Baylor, or Texas, Texas okay. Tech, or yeah, okay. or you know, a program like that. Uh, I think that'd be interesting if he did uh, something like because Illinois just seems like, oh, he was the former Chicago Bears coach, and hey, let's get this guy. You you remember this yep. guy, right? That's he, exactly he how it happened. <laughs> you almost <laughs> that yep, That's almost exactly how it played out. <laughs> so, and, and that's what it gets to the program of Illinois. I'm just I'm just saying that, you know, I love Smith. I mean, that's, I don't know. Like, love Smith is a guy I really wanted to coach like the Dallas Cowboys, you know, which I think would never happen, but, you know. I just always felt like that that would have been interesting for fit. Just to get back to Texas. Right. Okay, it's Texas. easy for people to forget how good a coach Lovey Smith was. Yeah. I think people will be somewhat taken aback if they actually looked back at his career coaching record and what his numbers were. I think people would be somewhat shocked even by how successful a coach he actually was. I think the perception of Lovey Smith is about 20 percentage points lower than his actual career winning percentage. I mean, his actual career winning percentage is better than a lot of coaches who've gotten to coach more pro football than he got a chance to coach. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty good. You know, and the only it, – it, it's the negative that every – you know, whenever it's defensive-minded coaches, they always get the label of, well, you restrict the offense and stuff like that. You know, like you're, you can you know, you're purposely – right, right, right. right. 
But well, he was also a guy like, who brought Mike March to the table, so I don't know how. He did a lot of stuff to help <laughs> Jay Cutler out. I don't know how conservative so, that is. I don't know. It's just Jay Cutler, I don't know. I always thought, Jay I always, yeah, he was Jay Cutler, you know. So, what can you do? <laughs> you got a Jay Cutler, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, for whatever reason, defensive uh, coaches, you know, conservative ish coaches kind of get a weird label but yeah i mean he was a good coach he's still a good coach yep. you know yes correct and given the right chance i think he'll have success now we don't know if this is the right chance and we don't know how patient they'll be assuming they're patient with him and assuming he makes the necessary adaptations which not every former pro coach does i think you could carve out that niche similar to what another old pro coach did Makovic, when he came, you know, he had been a big-time offensive coordinator and, you know, had had success at Wake Forest as a head coach, had been offensive coordinator at, I think, two different places, both um, Kansas City and somewhere else in the league and had done well and, you know, so made the jump back to college to become a head coach and then eventually made the jump back to the NFL. But I think if he's given the chance, he'll, like I said, I don't think he, you know, it depends on what your expectations are. I don't think they're going to win the conference anytime soon or perhaps even anytime period. But I truly do believe that given a chance, they're going to be a competitive team in the next couple of years. And I could see them three years from now perhaps being an eight, nine win team. Other than Malik Turner, are there any other players? Of course, you, you did mention that you, you – we didn't talk – I talked about Dudek, I guess. But are there any other players worthy of mention in your mind? Um, well, yeah, other, other than Jalen Dunlap and Turner, um, yeah, I would no. say that's really about it. Just in terms of act, you know players that really, like, caught my eye on the team last year. Okay. Gotcha. And that brings us now, as we sort of go through the, you know, like I said, knock the bottom out first so we can deal with the top team later. Another team that I still am not used to discussing being in the Big Ten, Maryland, which really belongs back in the ACC, but whatever. They are, they have a coach that everyone seems to like, DJ Dirk, and everyone seems to think he's going to get it done. Uh, they've put together some of their best recruiting classes in the past couple of years, probably since the heyday of Ralph region, I suppose, about 10 or so years ago. And Maryland always seems to have a couple of players that are draft-worthy and interesting every year. Take me through what you've found as you sort of go to the lair of the Terrapin and give me an idea of which players impressed you and what you think might you know, this season might bring them. Right. Huh. I mean, Maryland, Maryland is a is a fairly tough team to really get a handle on because DJ Moore, wide receiver, has his moments but doesn't really put it, like, week in and week out, it doesn't really always work out. Uh, defensively, Jermaine Carter, Jr., 
has the sort of look of an NFL linebacker, you know, like size-wise. He fits mm-hmm. sort of the what you're looking for the position, but doesn't quite produce at the level he really needs to produce, at least in terms of a top uh, middle linebacker or at least pursuit linebacker or whatever you want to call that, off ball, you know, that type of thing. Uh, the defensive line, based on all the the athleticism, the preliminary athleticism stuff, which is just what the initial reported four-year dash is so far, uh, Kayvon Walker and uh, Jesse Anibunin, or Anibunan, I think. Uh-huh. I like that. Uh, we're, we're guys who had fairly decent athleticism uh, scores, uh, but their production just didn't really meet. Uh, it wasn't Robert Kandice about it, just, but it wasn't exactly like amazing either. Um, so they're just guys that have fairly decent athletic profiles, at least on paper right now, preliminary, which could all be wrong or could be right. Who knows? But those are these guys that have some sort of interesting athleticism stuff that didn't quite put it all together in terms of uh, production. Same thing with Carter uh, Jr. as well. And offensively, it was just kind of a, I don't know, kind of a mess uh, offensively. We've had some they real had, struggles at quarterback the last six yeah. or three years. <laughs> quarterback is uh, quarterback has been one of those positions. Again, like most FBS programs, they just seem to struggle to find a guy. And even the guys that they do find uh, are kind of lackluster. So, um, so yeah, that's another sort of area that's that's kind of the only weird thing about Maryland is they were a team that. That, like most bad teams, the very beginning of the year, they won all the teams that were out of conference for the most part, at least looked good playing teams that were out of conference. And then once the conference schedule began, it was just a bloodbath uh, sort of situation. <laughs> and then injuries piled up, too. That was the other big thing. Yes. They have a lot of People injuries. started dropping like flies. All the good players started getting injured. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was not good. <laughs> it was not good. Uh, so, I, I'm not really – I mean, yeah, everybody likes the coach. I mean, the media really likes the coach. That's all I can say. Most reporters cover the Big Ten really like, uh, you know, the head coaches there in Maryland right now. They're totally convinced uh, he's going to win there. Yeah. Uh, but then again, people – the media really likes Cliff Kingsbury. And the media – you know, I, I'm, you know – but but who I as far as I know, I mean DJ Durkin definitely has the sort of demeanor that you're looking for. Uh it's just he's at Maryland. No. And the weirdest thing I, I don't know if you notice this, Bill, but a lot of the programs that joined the Big Ten that were from ACC or from some other town, you know, some some other place, uh, they haven't really benefited talent wise from the switch. If you if you know what I'm saying. Like they <laughs> Yes, I know exactly. They seem to they get actually, less talented. I think they've been diminished. I'm going to say yeah. it. I think they've been diminished by it. I, when I look back at what Maryland was able to do, I mean, Randy White's not walking through that door anymore. He went to Maryland, right? He's he's not coming there anymore. Or they're not getting guys like that anymore. Now, that was a long time ago, but they're not getting Boomer Siasen. They're not getting Frank Wright. They're not getting the Titans, right? They're not getting Sean Merriman. Uh, they had a really great 
tight end named Eric Sievers, who went on to have about an eight- or nine-year career with most of the Chargers in the NFL. They used to be one of those sort of tight Daryl Edmonds. He used to be like a tight end quarterback factory at one point, believe it or not, um, in the 70s and, and 80s uh, when O'Leary was uh, the offensive coordinator. They did a really good job of developing. Vernon Davis isn't walking through those doors anymore. I mean, they, this is I, – I truly believe they're taking a step back, at least in part due to – I think part of it is your natural recruiting areas are still the same, but now you've got to sell these kids on playing in Minnesota in November or playing in, you know, I mean, you're still recruiting D.C., Maryland, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and I guess they're trying to get more into the quote-unquote Big Ten areas, but your natural recruiting base isn't going to suddenly change if you change conference affiliation. You're still going after the same bunch of kids, and those kids aren't traditionally Big Ten fans for the most part. They didn't dream of beating Michigan. Now, it's a little easier nowadays than it would have been in the old days. I mean, pre-ESPN, free internet, it would have been nearly impossible to pull this off. <laughs> those kids would barely know, you know, where Michigan is 40, 50 years ago because they didn't see – I mean, now, thanks to, you know, Harbaugh and the Internet and things like that, they know who this is. They know who Maryland – I mean, who uh, Michigan is, and they know – I mean, they just know yeah. more about those. Yeah, they but, know they know where Michigan is. They know Harbaugh, and they'd rather play for him than play against him. <laughs> you know? also, also true, right. <laughs> yes, right. That's another problem. So So I don't know what the hook is for these kids from, you know, the Delmarva Peninsula, for these kids from the mid-Atlantic states, you know, from my hometown and the areas around my hometown, around Tidewater. I mean, they had a, I think they had a better chance of competing against Virginia Tech and Virginia and North Carolina and West Virginia, and maybe even Penn State a little bit for the kids they were competing, you know, to try to land. And like I said, to get them excited about, because they did grow up knowing about Michael Vick and Virginia Tech, and they did grow up knowing if they were from Virginia or even close to there. If they're from North Carolina and North Carolina didn't recruit them, then they might want to play against North Carolina or NC State or whatever, but I, I just, it's a weird fit. I know I've said this, well, I said this from when I first heard about it, that it was just a weird fit. You know, it's just it's such a culturally, such a weird fit. And, I mean, if someone was actually anticipating a recruiting bump, I'm not sure what made them think that. You know, what is it about? They're not going to suddenly get a bunch of kids from Michigan and Ohio and Indiana just because they are a Big Ten school supposedly. That's odd. Okay, so you're not wild about Maryland either. Uh, no. But then I wouldn't expect you to be because, once again, this is the bottom dwellers. Um, they are excited about Kasim Hill, who Supposedly, once again, it's been impressive, even though he's extremely super, super, super green and young and young and green. That brings us now to Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah, sure. So they have 
had an interesting run at the coaching position. Obviously, things like they were, you know, they've had Glenn Mason, they've had a few guys who've had body success over the past, well, really, 40 years. I mean, it's been a long time since they've had a really solid coaching situation. You know, same guy for seven, eight years. That doesn't happen very often for them anymore. And they thought it might, they might have found their guy in Coach Kill, and unfortunately, due to his health. I mean, Coach Kill looked like he was going to be the guy in terms of finding a way to get the right players, finding a way to develop the right players. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest, seven, eight wins. I mean, that's that's getting it done at Minnesota. If you if you can consistently win seven or eight games at Minnesota, that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's statue time, but it's it extend your contract time. And like I said, it looked like they they got that straightened out. And unfortunately, you know, Tracy Clay's ended up having to step in for him. And I think Coach Clay's might eventually become a, a pretty good head coach, but they they didn't seem to have a very uh, patient approach with him. So Coach Clay's will mostly go down as a ice cream eating meme, I guess, as opposed to a guy who had a really successful coaching career. I think. SBS level. So we have, I won't say coaching superstar, but a coaching shooting star, I guess is probably a fair statement, coming onto the firmament there in Minnesota in the person of one, the only PJ Fleck. Have an elite day, Jim. Row the boat. So what do you think will be the impact of Coach Black? And then we'll talk about the you know the players themselves. Well, offensively, it's gonna. I mean, that's the big thing. It's gonna become a lot more spready. Um, yeah. You know, three wide receiver, four wide receiver sets. Um, running game, yes, but. Not the traditional fullback, you know, eye formation type, you know, stuff. Um, mostly stuff like that uh, is kind of what I would expect. The only thing I can say about Fleck is anytime you have a guy at a MAC program who is developing uh, really good athletes, you know, at that level of competition, um, which he has been doing at Western Michigan. Um, you know, whatever players you're talking about, he's pretty much produced fairly decent um, athletes. It's a good sign that if you were to take the same thing, like take the formula and put it in the Big Ten, that you would have similar results, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, players he's going after. So, but yeah, I, I like the fit. I think, uh, and this is also coming from a, a, a program that has been like crying for a quarterback for a while. Um, you know, they had to deal with Mitch Leidner. Um, and I still want to know who it was that was starting all the Mitch Leidner rumors last year. Like, I, I just got to know uh, who the GM was, head coach, uh, scout, uh Whoever it was, I, I, I just I suspect no. I suspect Jim, it was the Hacker Collective Anonymous. You say that, but I just I just have to know: was it Vladimir Putin? Like who? 
liked Mitch Leidner enough to well, no start a rumor that it now. <laughs> but you, you can't you find gotta anywhere, do it anywhere. You gotta know it. I mean, this is the hard-hitting, uh, investigate journalistic stuff. Like instead of, you know, saying that so and so quarterback is a rich man's version of Carson Wentz and all this stuff, work on the hard-hitting stories. Like who was it that liked Mitch Leitner? Thirty for thirty, Mitch Leitner. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to hear. I'm not gonna get it, obviously, because it's. You know, water under the lightener now or a bridge. But, you know, I just, yeah. So, in terms of the team, though, right now, I mean, Rodney Smith is, is a running back. I think he's underrated. Uh, his only issue is, like most Minnesota backs, he's not very fast. Uh, but he's a tough, he's a fairly tough back, uh, you know, and, and does this, you know, sort of, stuff from that kind of perspective. So he's decent. Shannon Brooks is a tough low back too. He's had some injuries as well. Uh but he's another guy that I think is fairly fairly decent running back. Uh on defense, I think that's where a lot of the stuff is is going because Antoine Winfield uh Winfield Junior, um not senior, but junior, the little guy, little kid, uh he's a fairly decent defensive back uh, who kind of popped a lot last year. And Steven Richardson is a defensive tackle there that isn't quite there yet, but he's a very fun defensive tackle to watch in, in moments and spurts. He's very Mon Adams-like right now, but I do think that there's some potential that he could get a little bit higher than Mon Adams if he can just, you know, like Mon Adams was a guy who just never quite developed for whatever reason to get, you know, to get better. But I think that Richardson right. is a guy that can – has the potential to develop and get a little bit better in terms of hand usage and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And is a fairly athletic guy as well. Uh, he's just, he's really short. That's the only big thing. He's like six foot, um, stuff like that. Uh-oh. But, Not um, a fullback conversion, Jim? <laughs> no, 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 no. He'll end up in the CFL. They, they, they won't turn with a fullback. Uh, uh, I just, you know, you know, the thing is, Bill, is, Consist, as I tell most people, because there's the same thing with Andre Monroe, that people go and, oh, he's 5'11", you know. And I'm like, who cares if he's 5'11", if he's putting a, a top five pick on his back on national t- – like, you know, if he if he's turning if a Bill top Cole five guard. still an NFL GM. I understand that, but right – when you look at when you take away all the BS and you take away all the stuff and you look at the numbers that matter, production right. matters, athleticism matters, height, eh, you know, eh, a little bit, a little bit. Right. But right. when you right. have a guy like Geno Atkins, super athletic, super productive, boom, Geno Atkins is now considered one of the top two tackles in the NFL. Aaron Donald, super athletic, super productive, boom, one of the top defensive tackles in the NFL. You know, Grady Jarrett, you know, super athletic, not very productive, but super athletic. Boom, has a really big year. The super, like, heights is really, the things that matter, athleticism, production, are things that people really need to pay more attention to. Steven Richardson doesn't quite have the uh, production yet. I mean, solo tackle mark is the only real issue he has right now, but sack mark share TFL is really good. Uh, but it's just a matter of him just getting better in terms of those little areas, and he could be really good, you know. Like right, uh, right now, I have him as a top 
five defensive tackle. Uh, not necessarily a, a first rounder, but I just think that he does have a decent combination of athleticism and production. And, you know, on paper, there's a lot of positive things. I just hope that people get over the height stuff because I just think we're, we're grown up now, you know, we should be, we should be seasoned enough to, to ignore some of the, the, the tropes, I guess, that we keep repeating every year, but we, hmm. we keep doing it is all I'm trying to say. Yep. So is this a team that could be one of the surprise teams that ends up in a bowl game? Oh, yeah. Six, seven, win yeah. Yeah, I, I was Definitely. thinking that when I looked at, at this team and looked at some of the tape from last year and then tried to sort of account for the P.J. Flex factor. And it sounds corny and it sounds hokey, but he does really get guys to play harder than – they should, you know what I mean? Like he does get some extra out of guys. I'm utterly convinced you could have given that same Western Michigan group that he had to 98% of the coaches in FBS and they wouldn't have done as well as they did with him. So I think he has something. I mean, uh, we'll see. This will be a good test. This is a really good test of just how special a coach he is. But man, if he, gets them to six, seven wins this year and, you know, eight or nine wins and, you know, to nine or ten wins, he'll, well, he'll be, he'll be gone after that. That's <laughs> what will happen, of course. <laughs> so if, if, if three or four years from now he's managed to average eight wins at, at Minnesota, he'll be gone. Somebody will, will snap him up. But, but it will be still a very good time before it happens for the Minnesota, Minnesota fans. They will have gotten to enjoy their most sustained football happiness in a generation plus. Yeah, at least quarterback position is a little bit better. Well, let, let me ask you that. What do you – I mean, there's, once again, sort of some flux there, but from what – have you seen any of any of the possible candidates to win the job there? I have not seen any of them. Uh, my general feeling is it's like I kind of make a, a, a assumption, at least with Connor Rhoda, I usually make the assumption if you can't beat out Mitch Leidner, you know, there, there, may, there might be something wrong uh, with, with that. That's but, one of those dot, dot, one of those dot, 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 things you can't beat out Mitch Leidner, dot, yeah. dot, dot. You might be a redneck yeah. if dot, 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 you, you exactly. can't beat out Mitch Leidner. You might, not, you might not be a good quarterback if, yeah, if you can't beat out, you know. Mitch Leiter. Uh but the other guy in Dimmery Croft, I think there might be some, uh, you know, like production-wise, at least there was enough, de- you know, decent things from high school. But it, I, but right now, Connor Rhoda is the top guy, you know, Richard Senior. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll again, we'll see what happens uh, with that quarterback position because it's it's never set in stone. You know, Deshaun Watson wasn't the starter to start Clemson. You know. So, but I, I do think that just the nature of the offense is more QB friendly is all I'd really say, you know, like right. even if you had a, like a David Pyland, right. You know, something like that, uh, you would at least be better than what you've had with Mitch Leiner. I mean, Mitch Leiner was just really bad on the scale of, it's not the worst college quarterback we've ever seen, but he's pretty close, you know, in terms of, uh, <laughs> 
in terms of uh, just yeah. having – I mean, I've been watching college football a long, long time, and he's at least in the bottom 15. And I've probably seen a good – oh, God, Jim. I just realized <laughs> – I, I, oh, my – Jim, I have seen well over four thousand college quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, I have seen. I've seen a lot of them before your eyes. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my God! I suddenly saw Stanley Jackson and Joe Germain, and um, <laughs> I was, oh, oh, I was going, oh, oh my gosh, Morgan Newton. Oh, yeah, I was seeing a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, some of whom we were told were going to be good. You know, hey, this guy did well at the Manning Passing Academy. You know? um, yeah. Yeah. Manning Passing Academy. <laughs> yeah. How do you yeah. handle the double-A gap blitz at the Manning Passing Academy? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, sometimes I, sometimes my takes are like, oh, man, like, man, BS, let's see what he does on a football field with Zan in the dirt, you know. Something like that. <laughs> but yeah. Right, right. I, I hate to sound like the old guy, but sometimes you've got to be the See what happens when the lights are brightest, you know, before we start <laughs> making any judgments about them. Right. Let's put away the anointing oils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I understand. Um, but, yeah, I did sort of circle Minnesota as one of my possible, quote-unquote, surprise teams, dark horse, whatever term of use. That brings us to another school that I have to keep reminding myself is in the conference, Nebraska. Uh, people are expecting this defense to be pretty good. They seem to have a question mark on the offense. What do you see when you look at the uh, Cornhuskers? Huh. Well, the only thing I can really say about the Cornhuskers is even though they've never been in the Big Ten long term, they do feel like a Big Ten team in in the sense of, like, Wisconsin and Nebraska seem to – the styles, I guess. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, the stylistically, they fit, I guess. That's the one thing I will agree. I will say this. Instead of with Maryland or Rutgers where it just – what? Like, you know, it doesn't make any, any sense at all. With Nebraska, both geographically and culturally, I can – I still wish they were in a different conference, but I can I can see that there's a logic there. It makes sense. They who they recruit with and for and who they recruit against aligns in such a way that they they should actually benefit, and it makes sense. Exactly, you know, and they go after a lot of uh, uh, you know Africa diaspora kind of situation. Um, you know, just different sort of. Uh, players they just to get a little bit of a bump I guess in terms of certain things. But yeah, I mean, Nebraska in terms of the it it really is defense for me when it comes to that program. Uh for most of the players I've seen there. Uh Chris Jones, the cornerback there, was was a corner that I felt was pretty decent. I didn't think he was the best cornerback in the Big Ten, but I did think he was at least above average uh in terms of uh what they did there. Uh, the safeties that are there are, you know, Kieran Williams and uh, uh, Joshua, I think Kalu, I think is the other sort of guy. They at least had some positive uh, production marks. Uh, Williams had very high interception marks. Jared Williams. Uh, well, Aaron Williams had uh, 
decent uh, interception mark share, pass deflection mark share. With Kieran Williams, who's had good uh, interception mark share. Uh, but they at least had some decent sort of production uh, profile stuff. And, of course, the defensive in there and Freedom uh, had some flashes here and there. It wasn't the most strong, most powerful guy ever, but at least there was some uh, sort of uh, things there. But for the most part, really on defense, offensively speaking, I wasn't quite taken away with any one thing on their offense. I know some people are big fans of the tight end there and Stephen Carter, who I will admit can do can sell certain routes fairly well, but that was really about it. And he was always the H backy tight end. And as you know, Bill, H backy tight ends are are the types of tight ends that the NFL just doesn't know what to do with, so they just kind of fade away because you either use them or you lose them, you know, in terms of that particular uh, position. So, but uh, but yeah, this. This year, I mean, I, I think defensively there's definitely – like Chris Jones, at least to me, would be like their top defensive player. Yeah. Uh, and the question with those kind of guys seems to always be, is this going to be Jordan Reed or is it going to be Clay Harper? Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, which, of course, Ethan Goddard is not you know, on the team anymore. But I just think offensively, you know, it's a Nebraska team. I mean, I none of the wide receivers – and I don't like the excuse of, well, the quarterback, the quarterback, you know, stuff like that. Like, oh, the quarterback was bad. That's one of the wide receivers. Like, whatever. Look, I've seen, no. I've seen worse quarterback play than Nebraska has. In fact, in the same conference with them. Rutgers would chill for that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Minnesota would chill for the quarterback play they were getting at, at, uh, at Nebraska. Right. But I just, I just find it funny that, I don't know, there's just a different, like, I was working on myth sort of things you know, miss out in positions and stuff. And that's just one of the bigger ones is just the whole quarterback. Well, if your quarterback is it, it's like if Jerry Rice had a terrible quarterback, which he didn't have a terrible quarterback, he'd still be Jerry Rice. Like, yep. You know, like these are individual players. If you got stuck with Mitch Leidner, he'd still be Jerry Rice. He'd still be Jerry Rice, you know. Like quarterback doesn't make you. That's why I always, like, there was that, there was like some data thing that was like, you know, looking at successful tight ends, it took into account prior years QBR like how good the quarterback yeah, yeah. was in the prior year. What the hell does the quarterback being good have to do with the tight end's talent and ability? You know, like, because they think they think it does. They didn't test the data first. It's one of those things where I you mean, start changing the data to meet your expectations instead of the other way around. And don't get me wrong. If you have a good quarterback, that can bump you a bit. But that was like the same thing people were doing with Monte Ball when he had Peyton Manning, like, Oh well, Peyton Manning has had all these running backs, and they were successful. And it was Peyton Manning. You know, even though Monty Ball isn't great, he has Peyton Manning, so he's going to be productive because he's Peyton Manning. It's come on, guys, come on. He's Monty Ball. He's an individual player. You know, <laughs> so there's lots of variables that affect things. I, I get that, but Peyton Manning being the quarterback is not going to help Monty Ball situation in terms of being Monty Ball. You know, like at the end of the day, you have to have a certain level. Ability and talent, uh, but yeah, you I just play by Ronnie Hillman. I can say that much. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the other sort of thing on the Denver Broncos team. But you know, I just feel like there, none of the offensive guys in Nebraska really stuck out to me. Um, maybe some offensive line, man. I mean, the offensive line hasn't been Wisconsin level, but they have been at least better than usual, at least what I remember 
Um, but yeah, I I don't really know how to do this year. I think at best they might be 500 at best, but I don't necessarily think they're going to be shocking the world or anything like that. I think the best sort of aspects of team are on defense, which again, like I said, are like, again, Chris Jones is a decent quarterback, but he's more of like a day two, day three kind of uh, quarterback versus like a first rounder kind of. Right, he's like an early, early fourth rounder, rounder kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, here's the good news, Jim. Uh, from this point forward, most of the players, or most of the teams, should have players. I mean, in terms of legitimate pro prospects going forward. That brings me now to Michigan State, the uh, the Spartans. Who are coming off of a Ooh. year that wasn't quite what uh, people expected? Oh my! <laughs> Michigan State, huh? Yeah, this needs to be a, a bounce back year, obviously, a redemption year. Right? What, what, I don't know, whatever term you want to use, revenge tour. <laughs> uh, revenge, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. You check the fan boards, and these are terms I've heard used. Well. As you know, Bill, all I can tell you is this team had 11 sacks last year <laughs> as a team. Hold on. Right? Yes. Yeah. 11 sacks. <laughs> That's how bad that defense was. A defense that was talked so highly of. A defense that had a top five pick at one point. A defense yep. that had secondary players that were these, you know, it's the Michigan State defense and they're back and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, nobody liked the offense, of course, but at least the no, defense, no one ever, right? The defense of Michigan State is just uh, yeah, really good. And last year it was bad. It was really bad. Uh, really? And offensively it was Bad as well. It was just a combination of a combination of an average quarterback with below average skill position players. Like a lack of team speed is another sort of thing. Is another sort of thing to say, I guess. Uh, and offensive line wise is really the only major bright spot, I guess. So I know you're saying bounce back. At least that's what they hope. Well, that's what they're talking about. If you go, like I said, on there, I don't know how you bounce back from that. That's all I'm saying. Not to say that I don't believe in the coach. I like the coach. You know, the whole, you know, Mark D'Antonio, and you know, the whole we're gonna be here sort of lore and legend, the legend that is Mark D'Antonio saying he's gonna play in, a, in the Rose Bowl before he even plays it. You know, but I don't know, man. I don't know if he's got more magic. In the, you know, in, I don't know. I don't know how many more rabbits you can pull out of the hat. Is all I'm trying to say at this point. So, but yeah, go, yeah, but yeah, go on. So, take me through this team. Uh, are there prospects? And if so, who are they? Well, there's one prospect that nobody talks about. His name's Brian Allen. Plays. Oh, yeah. Offensive center, plays guard, plays right guard. He plays every position. If you need, like, he's the guy you call 
if you need him to to have a run play on the right side, he's your man. If you need a play on the left side, he's your man. You know, like he's the guy you call in when you need to move people because he does it. And uh, that's the one guy that I'm I'm really excited about. I think he's a fairly fast player at that position. Again, I, I'm a sucker for fast centers, at least centers that can get out in space and get on linebackers very well. Uh, and he's one of those guys that can do that because uh, it just opens up so many things for your running game and everything else. Like this whole, again, I'm not, I'm not discounting ZBS systems. You have to have a certain type of athlete to run those types of systems at a very high level. It's just when you have a guy that you can do any type of system with, power system, ZBS system, whatever, gives you the flexibility uh, to, to do a bunch of different things. And uh, I just think that that's what Brian Allen gives you. To me, he's a first-round talent uh, at the offensive line position. Um, and the running backs that are there, too. I, I think L.J. Scott has – he if you like big that's backs, everything you can't lie. Yeah, he said everything with yeah. speed, yep. But, again, if you like big backs, you cannot lie. L.J. Scott is your guy. So you got yep. that going for you. Uh, and, of course, Gerald Holmes is a nice little change of pace back. Some people like him more than L.J. Scott. There seems to be like that sort of, you know, who's That's better? Thing recently guy. Is, hey, let's like, the, let's like the backup better. Let's like the guy we've seen less of and doesn't do as much better than the guy who carries the the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like that guy be better because he'd be better than this guy. It's almost like quarterbacks, you know. Oh, you can be better than the quarterback now. Um, we can find running backs everywhere. Look, there's one right behind him. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, but yeah, wide receiver wise, there just isn't. I don't know what else to say, man. Michigan State. I mean, the last time Michigan State had a really good wide receiver was. Hmm. Plexico, baby? Yeah, Plexico, definitely. Uh, and then, of course, they had the Carolina Panthers. Moussa Muhammad, you know. Um, <laughs> right. I'm just going to say, too. Of course, Andre Rising in the 80s. Uh, yeah. yeah. So they've had guys. It's just recently they've had wide receivers that run like 4'6", 5", 4'7". Right. Which I'm not saying the whole well, if you're not a fast wide receiver, you can't get anything done. It is helpful though to have at least some speed to to do things. Uh, you know, even uh, you know most wide receivers need to have some amount of speed, and they just lack team speed overall in terms of wide receiver and running back, like you just said, in terms of LJ Scott and Gerald Holmes. Uh, and defensively, there's just nobody there that I really like. Even Demetrius Cooper, who is sort of like Malik McDowell-ish just from a size profile, is still – there's just not enough components there to really get super excited about him either. Um, so this is going to be a big year. Again, it has to – there has to be a bounce-back year. It just has to be that type of year uh, for them. And I don't know how much they're going to bounce back because – as much as I say this, Connor, Connor Cook is one of those guys, just to bring it all back to Connor Cook, I guess, uh, a little bit, is that because he definitely was a big part of their success, but he was a guy that, based on his high school production, was like a zero out of 100 type of 
you know, high school player in terms of his touchdown interception ratio, completion percentage, all that stuff was just basically the bottom of the barrel coming out of high school, uh, and ended up turning into a fairly decent quarterback. You know, that took him to a road, you know, that helped them get to a Rose Bowl. Uh, but now, I just don't know about this team. It's uh, again, they they expect a bounce back, but I just don't know if that's exactly in the cards for them, unless. They have a bounce back year, but so far I just really don't know about the team. It's just very uh they've always been a flawed team in general. Um and now they're just kind of really flawed. I mean, after this year losing all the defensive players that, which they weren't very good, but they did lose a ton of talent on defense. Um, you know. And the secondary and you know, a lot of most of their secondary and of course the defensive line, which Again, eleven sacks, but most of the guys, a big percentage of the sacks that they that they, that they got is gone as well. Uh, so, even though it's like three sacks, three out of eleven is still a lot of sacks. You know, it's a good percentage of your eleven sacks. So, um, sure. whenever I see that stat, I'm just amazed <laughs> that a college team. I mean, don't you have an edge safety? Maybe that's what they need to do. They need to get a safety to start rushing the passer. Maybe that'll bump things up as well. Because they never have fast linebackers either. I mean, that all the Riley, you know, the Bullas, right? They're, they're not exactly yes. speedster blisters, oh, oh. you know? Right. Um, yeah. You know, like, you wouldn't really call them blisters. Cause blitzer, when you say a guy's a blitzer, it means there's some speed to that, you know? Like, it'd be kind of It'd be it'd be the opposite if he, if it was a slow guy blitzing, but um, but yeah, I I don't know, I just don't know about Michigan State. That's all I'm really saying. Right. Yeah, and I'm with you. I mean, this is a big year, but I I won't be shocked if they come up once again. They end up being maybe a little over 500, which isn't quite a bounce back. I mean, it's better than last year, but it would not satisfy the. The Spartan faithful. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And now, go you Northwestern, break right through that line. The Purple Wildcats, who were for, once again, a generational laughing stock, an absolute laughing stock. One of the worst, in fact, at one point, maybe even the worst team at Division One uh, at one point in their history. To see them where they are now, you know, having survived, as I said, just being, you know, horrible at one point, and having survived, you know, having a, a coach help them rebuild, and then, of course, be hired away, then have his replacement, frankly, pass away very suddenly. The silver lining, of course, is that one of his key assistants took right over, and, in fact, the machine has run better than ever before. Take me through the team. Uh, are there players of interest? And if so, what might those players become at the next level? And then what might this team be able to do in the conference? Right. Um, well, you know, first off, I think it starts with Justin, Justin uh, Jackson uh, for, at running back. Uh, he, he kind of reminds me of uh, Justin Forsett a bit. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just size-wise, uh, you know, and kind of similar sort of style. Um, 
in terms of, uh, you know, I don't know. That's just like the main guy that came to mind. But he's a fairly decent back. He doesn't quite have elite upside because his age kind of takes him out of that because typically elite running backs are, are fairly young when they, you know, like 21, 22 years old consistently um, usually. He's going to be a little bit over that. But he's been very productive. He's one of the most productive running backs um, in this class, uh, you know, of, uh, of running backs. Uh, but he's a guy that I just think based on – I think there's going to be things like just physical measurements that people are going to look down on him a bit. And – He might get pumped free. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. He might get pumped free. He's not as bad physically as pumped free. At least I don't think so. I don't think he's that small. But he's no, definitely – I think he's a little bigger. Fit. I think he's about – I think he's about an inch taller and probably about 12 pounds heavier. But he's not huge by his stress. Yeah. Basically. He doesn't – he doesn't fit the – you, the uh, you know the ideal mold, I guess. Of well, there's a reason he's a Northwestern. I mean, there's a reason he's not. Yeah, I understand. Michigan, Ohio. But State, they have food. They have food in Northwestern. You know, they, they feed do. people. They do. They they, yeah, they have food. Correct. They have fruit. You know, they got yeah. stuff. Um, they have food. So yeah, I but but I would Wait, say that he's probably the top prospect. Uh, for me on offense. Uh. Garrett Dickerson is an interesting sort of H-backy fullback type. Uh, he he could hit people pretty well. That's the main thing. Um, he's still like that. I don't know if I should say that because you know, we're trying to be more uh, family-friendly, but uh, at least the NFL is trying to be more family-friendly. But he hits people. He hits them hard. Um, <laughs> right. You know, so that's always fun to watch. Uh, and, of course, Clayton – Thorson has Thorson, gotten yeah. more uh, pizzazz, I guess, buzz, hype, something like that. He's trying to get some love. Oh. Yeah, I've noticed that recently. Trying to get some love. There's a bit of that uh, with him. Uh, so, and and he's decent. He he was able to make, uh, you know, he Austin Carr uh, got catchable footballs at times from him. So th- there's that sort of thing. Um, but I'm not quite ready to make the leap of him being like a uh, – just because there's so many quarterbacks in this class. That's the main thing. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are really good in this class. But I'm not really ready to take the leap to say, oh, he's a top five quarterback. He's just more of like a sleeper kind of guy, I guess. That's the way you put it. Um, but definitely is decent. On defense, the only real guy who really comes to mind is uh, Godwin at safety. He's kind of a smaller safety, but he was a guy that I, I usually saw kind of come up a bit making plays. Uh, and they have a Nigerian defensive lineman who caught my eye. Um, I'm trying to remember the kid's name. <laughs> uh, but I know in two oh. games that I saw last year, I made a note about him. Was it Ohedebo? Not Ohedebo. It's a. Uh, Oh, in in head in head nib though, something like that. Yes. Is it the guy that got drafted by the Vikings though? Oh wait a second, hold on. You're, that you could be right. He could be gone already. Yes, maybe he is. I have to go back and check. You could be right. Maybe that kid's gone. If that's the case, then they may not have a decent lemon to cut my hat last year. <laughs> Uh, 
but they seem to have little in the way of problems. Despite the fact we don't have quote-unquote great recruiting classes, they always seem to fill their holes better than even some of the more ballyhooed programs of the conference. They're filling the holes with two and, you know, mostly two yeah. stars. Was it, um, yeah, was it a feedy, uh, let's see, was it a feedy, Odenigbo, I think? I think that's who it might have been. Yeah, he's on the Vikings. He's on the Vikings, okay. okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, then, that was, that was probably the only defensive lineman that I caught my eye last year with him. Now, with Austin Carr gone, tell me about the state of their receiving core in your mind. Uh, well, Austin Carr made up like 40% of that positive offense. Mm-hmm. So, now that he's gone, it's like... Do you look at the ten percent guy, the six percent guy? Like I'm just, mm-hmm. um, it's like that, you know. When you have a guy who makes up forty percent of the passing offense, um, you know, uh, uh, none of the other wide receivers really caught my eye. Again, most of Northwestern I was watching last year, it was really Austin Carr focused, um, right? But I don't really remember. Big jaw dropping plays. You know, it's like hard to follow Austin Cars, I'm trying to say. But nobody really mm-hmm. did follow him from, from the games I remember watching. So mm-hmm. that's all I can really say. But who knows? I mean, Austin Carr was a guy who came out of nowhere last year. So I'm not saying that's the same thing that's going to happen again, but it's just something that could happen. You know, it happened before, maybe it happened again. But um, I just don't remember anybody who uh, like took my eye away, I guess, from uh, from Carr, other than guys like Clayton Thorson and uh, the fullback there, the most part. and Justin He's Jackson, in, whatever. Too, yeah. Okay, and that brings me to Iowa. Sort of a somewhat. Sexy dark horse in some people's minds. Some people think Iowa might contend for their half of the title. I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, uh, Iowa. Again, I need to. I need to get passing game. Right. A lot of people are excited about April Wadley. Some people are excited about their linebacking core. But take me through it. Uh, who might be the real prospects, and how do you think this year might pan out for the Hawkeyes? Well, I guess to start with a crumb, uh, a crumb Wadley, he, okay, he's the guy that I wanted to come out last year. And I know it was really deep running that class, and I know the whole thing about all that stuff. But uh, age-wise, he's really old now. He's, he's going to be like 23 and a half when he actually enters the draft next year. Uh, and that really takes him out of a lot of, just from a data perspective, people hate me when I talk about age, but just from a data perspective, it takes him out of the likelihood of becoming an all-pro football player. Like a lot of people compare him to LaShawn McCoy. 
big difference between McCoy was McCoy was 21 Almost years old when he entered the draft. Right. Yeah, he was <laughs> much more productive in terms of market share production because Wadley was decently productive, but he wasn't at the level of McCoy who hit the all-pro sort of threshold when it came to his uh, market share production. Uh, and I do like Wadley. I think as a space back, he's interesting. He's definitely shifty and stuff like that. Some people have him as a potential uh, – uh, Heisman candidate, stuff like that, which, okay. wow, you know, I've heard it. I've seen the well, it's not impossible. <laughs> I mean, but it's just, it's not impossible. Unlikely. I've seen the <laughs> sort of plum wildly for Heisman. There's a campaign out there. I don't know if you heard of it. It's running, it's oh. running for, it's running for Heisman. You know, it's got, it's got some money. It's got a couple communists with it. You know, they're trying to do something, trying to change the world. Uh, but yeah, Wadley is amongst that group of anarchists, uh, if you will. Um, hmm. But I don't know if it's gonna work out, you know, uh, for them. But uh, but that's really the only big issue with Wadley is just that he has uh, issues in terms of age. But his production is fine. His athleticism, based on on paper, what was initially reported, his speech square isn't really that great, but he could have other things that are better, like three cone short shawl, stuff like that. That might make up for that issue. Uh, but that's really the only issue is just um, stuff like that, which in layman's or like as a comparison, he could be more like uh, Ahmad Bradshaw-ish. Not as thick there as him, though. But that would be like a sort of likely scenario if he tests the way I think he might test uh, is – a mod Bradshaw ish. Right. If which is runs nothing wrong. Somewhere between that. four five eight and four six three, that kind of thing. And exactly. has a thirty three and a half inch vertical and a nine eight broad and Yeah. You know, uh, has a really good Churchill yeah. three count. I was thinking about really good Churchill three count. count. Right. Really good. good Churchill three count. <laughs> yeah. Which is the thing that people don't they keep the numbers are there, they just don't I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm asking about running backs people don't get. It's it's one athleticism mark. They don't need to be Superman. They just need to have one superpower. <laughs> right. You know? Right. They want exactly one super. They could be Aquaman. They could be the Flash. They could be the Hulk. I mean, there's different yep. ways to be. Different ways to be a running back. Right. Yeah. So it just amazes me that people just go, oh, well, the short shell three count is a thing, and no, the vertical and the broad jump is a thing. No, the 40 is a thing, which that isn't really a new thing, but that somewhat coming back, you know, the 40 is coming back in fashion. Uh, although people go, how many times is the running back ever had it? You know, but, you know, they talk about the ZBS backs. But again, ZBS systems are, they favor different uploads as well, but uh, the bottom line is, I, I like it widely. I just don't really think he's an elite guy. Like, some people have him as a top running. I Seeing people saying yeah, I have he's seen the top. That. I have seen people, people say that they're the RB1. I have seen that a, few, a couple of people, not a bunch, but a couple of people have been the RB1. And my only contention to that, realistically, is why not have the Saquon Barkley, who is 10 pounds heavier and does pretty much the same thing? More dynamic, you know? faster, probably yeah. as quick, if not quicker, more powerful. Exactly. That's my only contention, I guess. It's just from a you, – you're getting the bigger package here, you know. You know, you're paying – Right. Bigger and faster. Paying, bigger and faster. So, 
Um, yeah, so so he's there. I do like Ike uh, Bucker, who's the right tackle there. Um, he's a as all Iowa linemen, you know, he sticks out because he's an Iowa lineman. But I do think he's a guy who at least has, plays a decent uh, hand usage. He's relatively powerful and fast in terms of getting out in space. So he's good. Uh, just Joe Well at linebacker is solid. I think he lacks speed, which is a big thing in terms of uh, him. He just isn't really the fastest linebacker ever, which can get him into trouble at times, but he definitely is at least decent in terms of those particular areas. Uh, Parker, uh, Heasey, or Hess, I think, is a defensive in there. He kind of stuck out a bit in terms of uh, certain plays. Um, and uh, let's make it some other offensive players. Matt Vandenberg, is okay. It's okay. My receiver from Iowa by Iowa standards, he, Matt Vandenberg is uh, you know a typical Iowa wide receiver, but not bad, but just not exactly tremendously dynamic. But um, but this year I don't really see. I think this might be more of a rebuilding year for Iowa than a breakout year. I know Iowa doesn't like to hear this, but. Iowa seems to be in this sort of phase of rebuilding and then contending and then rebuilding and then contending. Like that seems to be their cycles. And I think this might be like a down cycle a bit until they get some more guys developed, but I may be wrong. Um, but this offense is going to be heavily from widely, you know, yeah. this year. That's why some and, people, like I said, I guess through the whole backward Heisman thing on it, they think you might have to go flat. You have easy hundred yards. Uh, or so to uh, to give that team a chance, yeah. or at least be good, which might be the case. But when you had C.J. Bethard, you at least had some extra. I know I don't want to defend C.J. Bethard that much, but he got he gave you something, you know, he gave you a yeah. little bit of something, yep. something. Good chance. So. If Nat, if Nate Stanley doesn't quite give you the C.J. Beathard experience, which maybe he does, but that's my only sort of fear is that Crum Wadley definitely can be a dynamic space back, but you know, how do you what what do you do if you end up in a you know like teams are going to know they've had a year of tape. Oh, this is a guy we have to account for, and there isn't really anything to really knock you off your game plan. Like, you're going to try to take away Crum Wadley. Is Matt Vandenberg going to scare your defense into having to adjust? Like, I don't know. I don't really think so. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. I think teams are going to be more equipped to figure out ways to kind of push him. Mainly push him inside. You know, keep him from getting on the edges. And, uh, and it's not to say that he's a terrible guy in terms of breaking tackles, but he's not necessarily a big, you know, like he's he's adequate in in between the tackles, but he's not exactly amazing in between the tackles. So Correct. it'd be kind of yeah. get every, push push him inside, you know, keep him off the edges, and then you're able to, you know, get him to have those two-yard, one-yard gains, and then it just gets frustrating from there, you know, until, unless you can open up the passing game. So that's really the big thing with Iowa is if they can open up the passing game, they might get some – uh, help for Wadley. So if they don't, it could be a lot of games where he might only have like 40 yards, 50 yards rushing because 
that could happen, you know, when you don't have a lot of other dynamic things on offense. Yeah, dynamic's not something I hear brought up a lot to describe their offense, really ever, but particularly not recently. So once again, it sounds like you're saying more like a seven, eight win team than a team that might jump up back and double digit win. Right. Uh, a 500, I think they'll be a bowl team, but I don't necessarily think they're going to be this, the contending. They're not going to be what they were like a couple years ago when they were, you know, winning, like when they were undefeated at one point, or at least they had that really a bunch of wins right. in succession. They, had, you know, they, were, they were indeed undefeated going into a Big Ten championship game where they got absolutely uh, – Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think I don't I think, think the term people use is curve stops. <laughs> right, but I don't think that that's exactly going to uh, happen this year. Could be wrong, but I just don't think that that's in the cards this year. Gotcha. And that brings us now to the thing we're getting into. You know, it should be a little more fun for you now. <laughs> a little more fun for you. Brings us to Wisconsin. Uh, tell me about Wisconsin. Obviously, they lose Beagle. They lose uh, Surgeon Shelton. They use they lose T.J. Watt. They lose Ramzik and Corey Clements. But tell me what you, you know, that's what they don't have. Tell me about what you think about they do have. Right. In terms of what they do have, they got Troy Fumagalli, which I'm probably saying the name wrong, but at least if no, I... Exactly. You nailed it. That's, that's, yeah. you, may have, you may have struggled with a few things earlier today, but you nailed Fumagalli. Right, right. So it's yeah, Fumagalli. Like, you know, Italian, uh, but yeah. Exactly. Uh, but with uh, with him, I like him at tight end. He was, you know, he's more of a H backy tight end, or at least a move tight end body type wise. But he was a guy who made plays. He was decent um, in terms of what he does. Some people have him as a top tight end. I don't see him as a first rounder. I st- he may be the top tight end, but I don't see him as, which is you know again. It's, it's easy to say, but every time you say somebody's a top guy, it, oh, he's a first runner. Well, no, it's not really like that. It's more of he's like a day two kind of guy, day three kind of guy at tight end. But he's still one of the best tight ends. That just kind of tells you the difference between, I guess, this last tight end class and this class. Um, but, and yeah, he's – There's a certain excitement around Jazz PV as well, who's sort of a space player, gadgety, you yeah. know. Hey, let's run this sweep play, let's run this you know, this uh, uh, crack screen or this uh, uh, jailbreak screen or whatever. Oh, look and go in space. Right. And that's cool and everything, but he's not exactly at, at this point he hasn't put up a starting production season at wide receiver. Um, none, right. none of the guys really have yet. So he's still kind of a wait and see guy in terms of uh it's a great name though, Jazz Peavy. Um, yes. yes it is. but it hasn't quite put the goods 
from a production uh, standpoint, which, you know, I get five from that as well, but the data kind of speaks for itself. But yeah, he's, you know, there's some interesting things in terms of that, but I, I just think Fumagalli is more the, it's sad to say, you know, because when you say their best tight end, their best asset is a tight end, it, it kind of get really, what about the wide receiver? But I just feel like he is, at this point, going into the season, he would be the top offensive sort of threat, uh, if you will, um, unless one of their running backs, which they always have, you know, it's, it's Wisconsin. They're always going to have some running backs <laughs> that kind of do their thing. Uh, but, yeah, if, like, Bradwick Shaw or Chris James or, you know, one of those guys, uh, really puts it on. Um, but defensively, my one of my favorite linebackers last year, Jack Cicci, got injured and I was heartbroken. Uh, but he was just a guy that I felt like kind of, he kind of did everything. He wasn't amazing by any stretch of imagination, but he pretty much did everything that you asked or whatever ask of anti-linebacker. He was able to blitz fairly well. Uh, he was able to cover fairly well in terms of his own coverage uh, and was fairly decent in terms of stopping the run and shedding a bit, a decent amount at least, uh, to, to make plays in the, in the running game. Uh, but he was just a guy that I felt like was fairly solid from top to bottom as an inside linebacker, uh, and then unfortunately got injured. And the only other guy, T.J. Edwards, also kind of has some, you know, some interesting sort of uh, – some flashes here and there in terms of our linebacker crew. Uh, Derek Tindall, a cornerback, also has his fair share of moments as well. But I just really don't know about Wisconsin next year, 100%. Like, I, I have a decent idea of the offense. I think it would be fairly similar to what they had last year. And I think defensively, they'll probably be very similar to what they had last year as well. They just won't have T.J. Watt. Um, Doing their doing his um, his TJ Watt stuff um, on top of also losing you know their other uh, pass rusher that was there forever in terms of uh, uh, what's his name who was on the uh, got drafted by the Packers but yeah Wisconsin is just a team that I I, I like I know what the offense is going to be like the defense is a little more of a question mark but I still think they're going to be decent I just have more question marks in terms of uh, their overall uh, uh, offense, really, in terms of if they're going to be more dynamic or they're going to be kind of similar to what they were last year. I got it. Uh, anything about their secondary or linebacking core or defensive uh, line we should know about? Oh, well, you know, Jack Cicci at linebacker right. and uh, Derek Tindall at cornerback at least kind of flashed a bit. Um, but those are like the big. Those are most most of the guys that on defense that kind of stuck out. Okay. And so now it's getting interesting. That brings us to Penn State, and I've accepted Penn State into the Big Ten. I fought with it for a while. I resisted in my heart, in my soul, and in my mind. But now I've made largely made peace with it. Take me through. Who are some of the names that we'll be hearing, you know, every time Penn State unleashes on the, on a program that we'll get to know? But 
tell me about that. Uh, how does this team stack up? Can what they're doing and the way they're doing it be sustained? All that good stuff. Well, the top guy, obviously, is Saquon Barkley uh, at running back. You know, he's he's got everything you're looking for. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the shiftiness. He's got the vision. Um, don't ask him to do – I know people have bagged on his uh, pass protection, but, you know, it's something that he yeah, could be improved, but I don't view it as um, – like, it's something I think will be – dealt with, I guess, uh, yeah. this year. Uh, you know, like it's it's like people were bagging on lots of different running backs for pass protection, and then they had, like, I think Derrick Henry in particular, like, oh, Derrick Henry can't pass protect. And then he had one game where he did fairly well, and they go, oh, Derrick Henry could pass protect now, you know, stuff like that. Like, I think that's going to be the case with Barkley. Um, he's going to have one game where he does a fairly decent job, and then people kind of forget about that criticism. Um, which happens a lot. Melvin Gordon, same thing. You know, when the scouts watch you, they perform better, I guess. I'm trying to say. Um, Trace McSorley is decent. Um, he's better than Hackenberg, which is a plus. Um, but I'm a little, I don't know. I'm a little kind of 50-50 on him. Uh, I think there are some things that he does well. He's had his moments in big games, but he hasn't exactly been the best quarterback consistently throughout that season at Penn State uh, for them in terms of efficiency uh, and just being 100% accurate. So there's been a lot of talk of McSorley kind of getting into that top five quarterback discussion, but I don't quite see that until he improves. But he does at least have the potential to get into that conversation if he does uh, improve in terms of uh, just consistency uh, overall. Uh, the tight end there, Mike Jasicki, uh, is another guy that people say is the top tight end ever, but I just don't think he's very fast. Uh, I think he has soft hands, but he just isn't a very dynamic tight end. I mean, he's really just a target, a big target that has soft hands, but not much more than that. He's not the most powerful guy either. Um, so I'm just kind of uh, – he seems like a Notre Dame tight end at this point um, in terms of, like, the hype with him. I just don't really believe it is all I'm trying to say. But uh, I just think he kind of lacks athleticism to be truly dynamic. But he at least is a guy that is productive to the point where he should be considered a fairly decent tight end, but not necessarily a first-rounder, which is where a lot of people have been putting him. Uh, at wide receiver, Deshaun Hamilton is a guy who made some plays here and there and looked kind of good in terms of those particular plays. On uh, defense, though, Marcus Allen at safety is the only guy that I felt was decent, at least in terms of tackling, was okay. But I just think he's a little overrated at this point. Uh, I, there's people who have him like as a top five safety right now. I don't really see that with him. Um, but He's the only guy in defense that I really think um, has a decent uh, shot uh, overall in terms of like being like maybe a backup or a potential starter if he improves this year. But um, for the most part, I think everything's on offense with Penn State uh, in terms of like really dynamic sort of things. And then defensive-wise, there's just a lot of kind of unknowns there right now. 
So what do they really do when they have the ball at offense, Jim? Gotcha. So it sounds like for almost every team that can unify a team by the uh, school and whatever school access. <laughs> so what inspired you to head towards that and head towards that again?
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.